All right, how is it going, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Forward Thinking Founders, where we're talking to founders about their companies, their visions for the future, and how the two collide. Today, I'm very excited to be talking to Braden Ream, who is the CEO and co-founder of Voiceflow. Braden, welcome to the show. Hi, Matt. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Uh, it's our it's our second take here, so I'm looking forward to uh, kind of learning about what has happened in the last I don't know eight months since we last talked, <laughs> and then um, since I've gotten a little more smart and and kind of educated on the market, I think I have some better questions this time. So yeah, you're definitely interviewing a, an entirely sec- a different company eight, eight months later, so it'd be interesting. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So to, uh, and I, I will want to go into what has changed, but to start, there's a lot of people listening that have no idea what what your company is. So to start, what are you working on? What's VoiceFlow? Yeah, so VoiceFlow makes it easy to design, prototype, and build uh, voice apps. Uh, so for Amazon Alexa and Google Assistant, uh, sort of a, like you can imagine like a no-code drag-and-drop interface. Uh, we actually generate all the code for you uh, on both the front end and the back end. And so you can actually publish directly to Amazon Alexa and Google Assistant. And uh, I think as of today, we power over 5,000 voice apps for you know great Fortune 500 companies as well as uh, you know sort of your mom and pop shops. So uh, quite a quite a widespread of the people who actually use VoiceFlow. So let's go into uh, a little bit on what someone can do with VoiceFlow. So mm-hmm. you know, someone might know that you know you, there's it's a holiday season and Alexas are, are flying off the flying off the the you know the Amazon digital shelves, um, yeah. and like this the voice is a thing, but. How does someone build or for voice? Can you walk me through how someone would use your platform to build a certain apps or games and what they can do with it? Yeah, I mean, um, you know, one of our uh, one of our principles, like, like how we came up with the voice in the first place, was um, we were building our own voice app. So we were building interactive children's stories, and with that business, we actually raised our first round for the interactive children's story company. And we had a really tough time sort of like scaling that business as building these voice apps was really monotonous and tedious. Um, and so like you can imagine the process of building a voice app is actually kind of similar to like HTML, CSS in that it's not hard to do, but it takes a long time to do, which is typically a very good target for technology, right? To, to abstract away. Um, and so with conversations, it's like, if the user says this, then go do this. And if they say this, then go do this. And it's like tons and tons of nested if statements. Um, and so we were writing these things from scratch and it was taking us forever. And so we built our own internal tools to make it really easy to build these, these voice apps. Um, and that became VoiceFlow. So um, I, I guess that was a long winded answer to basically say like, normally you code these things, right? So you're, you're basically coding this big conversational state machine. Uh, VoiceFlow just abstracts away um, all the code, uh, make it sort of this drag and drop interface where um, you can focus on building a great experience and designing you know, good content instead of having to sort of do the plumbing of, of the ifs and uh, if statements. Yeah, that's super powerful, especially as voice becomes kind of more prevalent in our lives. Um, and I want to talk about that in a, in a little bit. Uh, but let's go into what are some of the coolest things that some of your users have built on VoiceFlow or what are, um, yeah, just what, what are some people doing with your platform? Yeah, uh, it, it's really interesting. So when we first launched VoiceFlow, um, it was just for Alexa. And we thought that people were going to be using us as like an end-to-end publishing solution. We basically thought we were going to build like Wix for voice. That was actually when we did that initial podcast like eight months ago, like that was the, th- that was the thesis. Like we're going to build Wix for voice. Um, and 
that worked out and like a lot of our fortune 500 customers have like actually done you know gone ahead and used voice flow from end to end from idea all the way to publishing um so whether it's like you know large media companies publishing um like quiz games or basically interactive podcasts and sort of like um just uh, extending their their entertainment portfolio um we've seen that use case done quite a bit um but some of the more interesting edge use cases is where it's not specifically about the alexa marketplace as much as just adding voices interface to existing technologies um so for example like we had we sponsored a really big hackathon called the uh, hack the north which is like one of the largest hackathons in canada and um these students were building like crazy applications like naruto like uh, there's one like neuro battle simulator where it had like a voice interface input and then it had like an ar output and you would like basically like shout your commands in and like make the matching hand signals and then it would like actually like do this whole like animation where you know spit fireballs and things and so we've sort of seen the evolution of our platform going from like people just you know using us to build these sort of basic entertainment alexa skills all the way to where they're adding uh, voice interfaces to mobile apps or adding mo voice interfaces to uh, web apps to uh, customer support, IVR systems, like really all these different types of voice applications um, where voice is either a bi-directional interface, it's like the input and the output, and that's more like your traditional voice app, or where um, voice is just the input interface, and it's just the input modality, and then, you know, it's going to be a, a mobile app or some sort of screened interface as the output. So, um, yeah, a lot of interesting use cases. I, I could dive into them, but because there's so many, uh, with over, I think we have like 100,000 created projects now and 5,000 published, so um, hard, hard to know exactly what's out there. Yeah, that must feel must feel cool that, that you know, I know there was a point, it might have been when we first had our conversation, where you know who your power users are, you know what they're building, you have a grip on your user base, and then something happened in the last eight months where you, you grow and you get so big, you don't know what everyone's working on, which must be an interesting feeling. Let's kind of go into what's changed in since we last talked. So for everyone listening, as mentioned, um, I, I believe we had a conversation in February, maybe maybe February, March timeframe. So yeah. kind of go back to what your company was then um, and like kind of talk about that a little bit and then love to hear what's been going on the last eight months. Yeah. Uh, so I think at that point we were four full-time people. Um, so just, just sort of the co-founding team. And um, yeah, it was, it was really just building things as quickly as possible. So we had this internal tool that we launched in January. And so at that point, we were like a month or two in when we first chatted. Um, and people were starting to build their, four, you know, their first voice apps. Uh, I don't think we had any enterprise traction at that point. Um, and we were just trying to figure out what voice flow is. And I think you really only figure that out through talking to customers and seeing what people are actually building. Um, we were writing really horrible code. Uh, things were going down all the time. Uh, it was becoming harder and harder to add features. And then um, I, I guess maybe in, I think maybe in May, we started to pick up like some more enterprise traction, which was great. Um, businesses who wanted to come onto Alexa sauce is like an you know, easy way to get to market. Um, we started to actually build out our engineering team. We started to generate some revenue. And then, um, yeah, I think, you know, to where we are today, it's like a pretty different, pretty different view on the business. I think the thing that's changed the most is our thinking. Um, I think we have a pretty sophisticated view. Uh, at least I say this now, you know, we'll see where we are in eight months from now. But um, I think right now we have a pretty sophisticated view um, comparatively to like where we were on the customer. Because like before it was like, you just have users and that was that was the user segment, right? Um, you didn't really break it down into, you know, who are professional users, who are hobbyist users, who are agency users? Like, what do these different users need? What are their different pain points? Um, 
you know, what's the willingness to pay versus the ability to pay? Like super important things to realize that we had no clue eight months ago um, that we've just sort of figured out through through a baptism of fire. Um, and yeah, that's, that's you know, I think the biggest thing that's updated in our business is uh, the team, for sure. We've, we've definitely grown quite a bit. Um, I think uh, when we first chatted, we maybe had like a thousand users or maybe a couple thousand users. Now we're 20,000, uh, well, actually a little bit over 20,000 now. Um, and so it's certainly grown in, in that aspect. And uh, our power users, I still do have Facebook chats with a lot of them. Uh, and so I, I still try to have like a very ground level approach um, to what our users are building and what they're up to, uh, as well as talking to our businesses like almost every day, just to make sure that you know, we know what our enterprise clients want and you know, how they're thinking about the next two years. That's, uh, that's all so cool to know. And that growth is fantastic. I'd like to segue a little bit into the market. And the fact that, you know, this company couldn't have existed a decade ago and it's going to be too late in a decade to build it. You're, you're, you know, in my opinion, your timing is impeccable. So what's happened? Like what is happening in voice and what has allowed this company to, to grow and exist and, and, and thrive and continue to grow? Like what's happening in the market? Yeah, there's, there's a lot of different headwinds that I think we've just been really fortunate to catch. And I don't, you know, I, I think there's uh, legendary entrepreneurs uh, like, you know, Jeff Bezos and uh, Elon Musk, where they can sit back and actually think about market timing and, you know, actually be able to pinpoint it. Um, with us, you know, we just happen to, to I, I think, be in a good time. You know, only 10 years from now, we'll know if, if, if I'm right or wrong. Um, but I, I think the headwinds that, that have really allowed us to exist is, of course, um, smart speaker adoption has given like a... Um, Often in the industry, people talk about it as like training wheels for voice because, you know, Siri's been around since uh, like 2008, 2009. Um, voice technology has been around for like 20 or 30 years now. Um, that was when the first voice interfaces sort of started to hit like mass mass commercial, commercialization through IVRs, which are those like phone lines you call into. Um, but only recently, like um, Alexa and Google, they launched five years ago now. Um, that adoption has been so wild. They're like the fastest growing consumer technology out there that it's gotten people really used to talking to technology um, and it's created a really large platform. So uh, I think the, the most recent stats, like 40 or 50% of like US households now have some sort of smart speaker device, which is crazy, right? And so um, what's allowing Voiceful to exist is brands are going, okay, so if there's two and a half billion voice assistants out there now, this is probably going to be a thing and it's probably something we need to get in early. Uh, there's a lot of brands who got stung by mobile. They didn't get in early enough and their competitors were a year or two ahead of them. And so a lot of folks in these you know, innovation departments and digital departments are saying, not this time, um, whether it's ROI positive or not, we're going to get into this channel uh, early and just figure it out. Um, and we've, we've seen a lot of that. So um, I think that's given a uh, voice flow a good headwind. I also think sort of the no code movement, um, more visual programming um, has really taken off and, uh, that's sort of at the intersection of where we're at. We're, you know, we're voice apps and no code. So that's sort of our, our spot. Um, and that's taken off really in the past two years. People have started to actively seek out these tools. Uh, I think the stigma for them has gone down because uh, I think before it was, you know, if you use like a Webflow or if you use like a Zapier or any of these other no code tools, it's, you know, it was kind of like if you were an engineer, it was like that was icky. You know, that was, you know, just so. Uh, restraining, but now it's it's seen as this like liberating tool to auto. It's, it's more they're more seen as like automation tools, right? Automated tasks that engineers wouldn't want to be spending time doing, like HTML, CSS, JS, like you know basic integrations. We don't want to do that stuff. We want to focus on you know more high level architecture and like solving larger problems. Um, and so you know with VoiceFlow, we're doing that exact same thing, but in the voice space. And so people have really enjoyed that. 
Um, and yeah, I, I'd say those are the two big headwinds that sort of allowed us to, to uh, build the business at this time. I think if we had built the business even two years earlier, it would have been really tough. Um, Alexa was too young. The, the voice app ecosystem is just sort of evolving now and the businesses have really just started to get into the space in the last like eight, 12, eight to 12 months. That's a great summary of what's going on in the market. Um, and now I definitely have been waiting for this kind of specific point of the conversation for literally months. Um, and I say that because what now we're talking uh, on a podcast and yep. podcasting has, has exploded. And now I'm seeing, I think I might be, like, I might be one of the people that, you know, just started a podcast when, when everyone started starting, or maybe I was a little early. Like I have no idea, but all I know is that a lot of people are doing podcasts. Um, and I yeah. have a feeling that they're the, the most, the more sophisticated podcast hosts are going to differentiate um, with some sort of in, uh, interaction or engagement with 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 an app or something like that. So I would yeah. love to, um, as I said, self-indulgent, but I think if people will, will be interested to listen, how, if you were talking to a podcast host, like which you are, what advice would you give um, me in regards to leveraging this wave, leveraging voice flow to build something co- really cool for the listeners and for the users? Yeah. Um, so the... <sighs> I, I'm going to be honest here. So the number one problem in the voice space is typically discovery, right? And so when, um, when podcasters think about the voice space, it's, um, you know, how do I add another channel? But the problem is um, because discovery on, in voice is quite difficult right now, um, it's not really a, an acquisition channel. It's more sort of another um, sort of engagement channel for your existing user base. And so for a lot of podcasters that's less interesting so for new podcasters but for um really large podcasters with an existing subscriber base um now they're able to expand their engagement across different mediums and that makes sense so you know the gary v experience um these sorts of folks i totally recommend they get into alexa google as it's just another place to engage your audience in a hand-free way it makes total sense um for smaller podcasters i actually don't think it's roi positive yet because of that discovery um, I think it makes a lot more sense to um, try to build up your, your podcast and focus on like, you know, the one or two channels where you're getting traction, just try to own that channel, you know, almost the same as how startups, I think they, they add too many social channels all at once. I think they should just focus on one. Um, I think it's the same thing for, for, you know, small podcasts that are just trying to grow, uh, same, same philosophy. So I don't recommend adding Alexa Google too early. Uh, but if you are an existing podcast with a big subscriber base, totally worth it to, to re-engage your existing subscriber base. So let's say I am, you know, three years down the line and I'm like, let's say a, like a, like a Harry Steppings who, who like 20, 20 minute VC, he, mm-hmm. I, f- I feel like he has a pretty giant uh, user base and maybe we can take this clip and, and just send it over to him for advice for, for Harry. Like <laughs> how would like, like, so, or Gary V or any of these people with giant audiences, like I'm yeah. more just trying to get at like, how would someone even leverage a voice app or a skill for their podcast have you seen any podcasters do this yet or if you haven't kind of what could they do if they already have that giant audience yeah i mean it depends on whether you are just looking for distribution so if you're just looking for distribution you probably don't need your own voice app um so a good example that would be um you know with harry stebbings uh by the way harry's great um he probably should just use Spotify. So like your existing podcasting platforms. The great thing is um, all these distribution channels are already on Alexa, Google. So Spotify, you're going to have 
Um, I'm going to show how much of a noob I am in the podcast space. I just use Spotify. Um, but I know Spotify is on Alexa and it's on Google Assistant as well. Um, and I'm sure all these other podcasting platforms are there as well. If you're just looking for distribution, you probably don't need to build your own voice app. Um, but we have seen a ton of podcast casters use VoiceFlow to sort of build like interactive podcasts. And so this is where, you know, there's a menu system and, you know, you might have like behind the scenes or you might have like sort of other features to actually build out more of a content map and content tree instead of just a flat, like, you know, start the episode, uh, play the episode and finish it. Right. If you want to jump between different sections and things like that. So, um, yeah, the, the, you know, there's definitely uh, some interesting things you can do. Uh, I think a lot of people are surprised of how restrictive the Alexa Google platform are towards podcasting right now. I'm sure if you if you've played around with VoiceFlow and tried to build something, yeah, it's it's super restrictive. Um, I think because the use case that they figured is what I was mentioning before, and that you're going to use like an existing distribution platform like, like Spotify. Um, but yeah, for for more interactive podcasts, like I know the BBC is a great interactive podcast on on Alexa. Um, yeah, it totally works for those like scenarios where you want to get something that Spotify can't offer. Yeah, definitely. That's uh, I love the the being candid there in that sometimes what works is just going to continue to work in some of these newer platforms. You have to give it a little time. I definitely have some questions offline for you because I definitely I have some uh, plans for the podcast to turn it into potentially something else. So I'll, oh, cool. uh, we can talk about that kind of elsewhere. I now want to transition a little bit. Um, Actually, before we transition, let's wrap up the voice flow section um, and hear about the vision. So you have come a long way in eight months. You now have a little context of how, how quickly you can move. And now think 10 years from now, what is the big vision that you're, that you're working on and what's the direction that you're rowing in with voice flow? Yeah, um, it's funny. We often have less of a vision for what voice flow is going to be and more so of a vision of what the market's going to be and how we could fit into it. Um, so I think where the market is going, and this is like more just all competing platforms in general, um, people often say that like voice is a platform shift. I think it's completely ridiculous to say that voice is a platform shift because voice is an interface, right? Like um, touch screens are an interface, mobile is a platform shift. Um, I think the underlying assistants like Alexa and Google sort of represent this larger shift in computing where the operating systems are going to be predictive and they're going to be proactive instead of reactive. So, um, you know, when you talk to Alexa, it's going to suggest an app that you want to use, or it's going to suggest the thing that it thinks you want. Um, I think the other key factor is that these assistants are going to be more omni-channel. So they're going to be less um, um, sort of dependent on like a single piece of hardware. And so I should have like Google Assistant should be on my speaker. It should be on my car. It should be, uh, I don't know, in my clock, on my phone. And so anywhere I, I, I walk on any device, um, across any channel, whether it's Facebook Messenger, et cetera, I should be able to access like, a persistent assistant that knows my persona and it learns over time and it's able to sort of help me out. Um, I think that's like what the next platform is going to be is sort of this like omni-channel persistent AI assistant. Um, persistence is the thing we're missing right now because you use Facebook Messenger. Um, that's different than when you use Alexa. That's different than when you use Google Assistant, then you know, Siri, SMS, email. Like these are all conversational channels. Um, and there's no persistence across them. Um, and so I think companies like Salesforce, um, I know they're working on things like this. It's like, um, how do we add like the really key persistence layer so we can have this like awesome platform that, that's sort of omnipresent. Um, and so where VoiceFlow fits into that is sort of building the design tools for this future. And so, you know, every time a platform shift happens, you generally have like a new set of tooling that's required. 
you know, new analytics tools, new um, content management systems, new design tools, new prototyping tools. Um, it's been fairly consistent across like, you know, the shift from web to shift to mobile, just anytime there's a new, new tech platform. And so, um, you know, we're building the, the tools for this new feature. Um, and as the market evolves, we'll continue to evolve with it. But uh, I think, you know, the best way to describe it is we want to build uh, like the creative software for, you know, whatever the next compute platform is. It sounds to me like you're ultimately trying to enable the childhood dream of smart home from Disney to exist anywhere is, is what it sounds like to me. No, it's persistence is very cool. And I, I'll be, I'll be watching once it gets there, I will definitely replicate smart house a hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't think we're that far off. Um, like I know uh, a really good example of this is Uber has really good persistence right now. When um, if you're in the Uber app and then you call the driver, it can actually send the driver like all of your contact info, right? And so there's a layer of persistence because normally your phone um, and your like Uber app are they're siloed, right? But now there's actually a persistence layer facilitated through Uber where you call the driver and he knows it's you, he knows where you are, all this kind of stuff. Um, I think you know the next step is where um, you know if you take it outside of an individual app like Uber and it's the operating itself, that's the operating system itself where all the apps are passing context back and forth. Um, and all these different conversational channels are connected, but that's again, like maybe like five years out. <laughs> so either way, we're going to build the creative platform that helps people to um, sort of exist in this reality with all these different conversational channels, like, you know, SMS, email, chat bots, messenger bots, voice bots, phone bots, or so many bots out there. It's an exciting time to, uh, to be on planet earth and to be engaging with uh, with this kind of technology, I actually, as you were um, as you were explaining your vision, uh, one question popped up, which I do want to ask because mm-hmm. I'm intrigued to hear your thoughts on it. AirPods. Uh, so I had a Leah Culver on the podcast, who is the the creator of Breaker, um, one of the co-founders, and uh, she had a very keen interest in AirPods and the AirPod mm-hmm. API and what that could unlock. And I don't understand technology enough to know what you can do with the AirPod API, but I'm just kind of interested if you, do you have any thoughts on AirPods and what that unlocks for the market? Yeah. I mean, I think, um, I think AirPods are similar to like the gyroscope in your iPhone or the GPS. Like every time you add a new piece of functionality to a platform, it adds and it unlocks new use cases. But I think to go as far as to say that AirPods are a platform is a little, is a little much. Um, because like ultimately everything's still going to live off your phone. I think if AirPods, um, were on their own and I think if they had their own like app ecosystem, um, I think that would potentially qualify them as a platform, but right now they're still tethering off the iPhone. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think it's a common like sort of VC banter on Twitter where like someone sees a line that's going up into the right and it doesn't matter what it is. Like it could be toaster waffles and people are going to say toaster waffles are like the next platform. Because everyone, like, there's such a, um, if you're wrong, no one cares. But if you're right, you can, like, you know, retweet your genius, like, two years later. And so everyone's incentivized to point at trends, which might not, which might not be anything, and just get out there as early as possible. Um, and so I think AirPods sort of fall into that bucket of, like, yes, they're, everyone's wearing them now, but that doesn't mean they're a platform. Um, adoption does not mean it's, you know, the, the next big thing. Um, at least in terms of building businesses on top of, of that. Because I think that's the definition, right? It's like, I, I would almost say like a platform is something you have to build a new business off it. Um, I wouldn't even say Alexa and Google are a platform right now. I'd actually say they're channels. I'd say 
uh, AirPods expand the use case of the mobile platform. Uh, that's a very well articulated answer. I appreciate that. Um, well, cool. So let's shift a little bit. So one of the reasons, uh, one of the many reasons that Voice Flow has has found its stride and and success in the last eight months since we talked, is because of community. It's building a community. Uh, and uh, community is starting to get around is a great way to to build a, a company or a culture or distribution. So I'd like to chat about community for a little bit. Um, cool. to, to start, uh, let's just go high level. How does VoiceFlow use community and how do you think community is the CEO? Yeah, um, so community is a huge part of our, like, I, I, I hate saying community is a big part of our strategy because it feels very fake and, and sort of, um, like we wouldn't be here without our community. Uh, and so to give a little bit of background, when we first started, we were building these interactive children's stories. Um, they were so horrible. Our product was so bad that no one would use it unless we put them all in a big Facebook group and kind of peer pressured them. And that's how like we, we sort of came up with this like um, idea of like, let's have a big Facebook group of all of our users because otherwise no one's going to give us feedback, right? We had to show that other people actually were using this thing to peer pressure them. Um, and so we did that. And once we shut down that business, so that was Storyflow, that was our interactive children's story business, and we pivoted to VoiceFlow, um, we thought, wow, like the one thing that was really amazing about that business was like, I think we had like a thousand parents in this big community group. And we're like, that works so well, let's do the same thing for this new VoiceFlow, you know, VoiceFlow thing we're building. Um, and so we started this developer community and it's been so fantastic because it um, encourages people to know that um, others are using the platform, it's not just them. Uh, if they find a bug, it's really good because they can tell us instantly. Um, I find that um, bug reports are typically less vicious. So um, with my previous company, like if something was broken, they it was like a faceless company, right? And they'd be like, this is the worst software in the world. But if you're like, you know that Joe over here coded this, you're like, I know you're trying, Joe. Like I see the bags under your eyes. Just like, please fix this when you can. Um, so that's really good sort of getting that you know user empathy going both ways instead of just sort of it, it being one way. Um, and then, yeah, I think it also gives us a pulse on the market too. It's like, what are people building? Are people making money? Are they being successful? What are their problems? Uh, what other platforms and tooling are they using? Um, so that we sort of, you know, again, have a very good understanding of where things are going. Because um, I think ultimately, if you have the largest, most active community in a space, um, even if you had the worst product, I think that community acts as a buffer and gives you time to catch up. Right. So I think like, for example, Sketch is a great example of this. You know, they're taking on Figma right now. Um, Sketch is such an active community and loyal user base where um, Figma came in with, you know, what would arguably a superior product. Um, and they haven't been able to erode Sketch um, nearly as quickly as a lot of people think because Sketch still has that loyal user base. There's still an active community. There's still meetups around the globe. Uh, and with, you know, all that fresh benchmark capital, they should be able to compete uh, somewhat effectively with Figma now. Um, so yeah, I, I think community is really big to us. Uh, how we got it started was sort of serendipitous and only in the past like two or three months have I seen all over VC Twitter, uh, communities become this big thing. Um, we, we didn't start a community for that reason. It was just like this thing that we started um, and our users love us and we love them and it's just a, it's a good place to congregate. When you, um, when you first started the community, did you just decide actively that it was going to be Facebook groups over Slack? Do you also have a Slack community? Like, how do you think of platforms to host a community? Yeah, I actually had a business idea around this because I think there's such a gap in the space. Um, 
So if you were to like draw like a matrices um, or like a Cartesian, you know, Cartesian plan or something like that, um, you basically have like um, how active or how organized a, like a channel is and how active it is. Those, those are like your two axes. Um, the problem with Slack is it's like super organized, but it's not active. Um, Facebook is super unorganized, but active. Uh, and then you might have something like Spectrum, which is act, uh, it's actually in a similar camp to, to Slack. Then you have forums, which are like super organized, but unactive. Like there's just such a gap where um, you need to find something like a, a, you need to find a place where people already are, because that's the problem with community groups is they're peripheral to people's lives, right? Like no one lives to be in the voiceful community. Like I hope they do one day. But, you know, for the most part, they're on Facebook because they have their normal lives and then we are a part of their normal lives, right? We're not disrupting their, their daily workflow. And, that, you know, this is just general startup advice. You generally can't change behaviors unless you're offering like a 10x. Um, we're offering a 10x in, you know, their voice app building, but not a 10x in their lives, right? So um, they're going to continue to be on Facebook. And so we need to be where they are. Um, I've tried Slack with previous companies, like my previous startup, we had a Slack group problem is like people who you like other startup people who use slack yeah it might work um but it's still generally pretty inactive um and then the people who don't use slack like if they don't get the desktop app they're just gone they just like they sign in the one time and you never hear from them from them again so yeah i don't think slack works either facebook's been facebook has pretty been pretty good um the things i don't like about facebook though it's unorganized um and i also don't think that it allows you to build any seo um, it would be really useful if um, like users were almost able to like search on the web and like find indexable content because like, the same questions get asked in voiceless community like, you know, once a week. Uh, and for the most part, you know, people just keep asking the same question because it's, it's unorganized. It'd be great if people were able just to find past answers. So there is this reporter and I'm literally scrolling through Twitter right now to see if I can catch one of his tweets, um, who launched, here it is, <laughs> that's funny, Dave Rubin, I actually don't know much about him as a reporter, he's very apparently mm -hmm. famous, but a couple of weeks ago, more so, just one week ago, he launched this company called Locals.com, and apparently, this is, like what you're talking about, like there needs to be something in the middle, I think he's trying to solve it, and I don't know if a reporter is, or he's more than a reporter. He's like a big, big time journalist. But I don't know if the journalist is the one to solve it, but it's interesting that that literally as you're saying this a week ago, Dave Rubin decided to launch locals.com to try to solve the problem. Um, so it seems like there is some interest in, in building something better um, that kind of meets the users where they're at but keeps things engaged. Um, but it is a big problem. I've, I've, I've come across the same problem myself and I, I don't think there's a perfect solution. Yeah, if, if someone wants to take my idea and build the business, what I was thinking was, um, it, now this doesn't solve all the problems, it just solves some of the problems. <laughs> yeah, it's but, better than um, where we're at. <laughs> yeah, if, if you know uh, like the intercom chat bubbles uh, that are in like the bottom right, so you have like Drift, you have intercom, you have all these, it's sort of become this like common design paradigm where in the bottom right of your website, you have this little bubble. Um, if that was like your community hub and you could have like, um, sort of see what other users are online and have all your forums live like be, live and be accessed within that little chat bubble because part of the problem with at least with our users and this might be again very specific to like design platforms where people are building actively on our platform and then they have questions while they're doing it and so often like they want support and so they have to go open another tab and go to another chat um i had the idea like oh wouldn't it be cool if like you know right now users uh, facilitate groups that group chats with each other over facebook like 
wouldn't it be cool if like other voiceover users could like find active group chats and like ask each other and like post in like forums that are all facilitated on the Voiceflow platform, like through this little chat bubble in the bottom right, instead of having to like always go to these different platforms or doing it on the platform that they're actually using. Um, I think that would be cool because then, you know, you don't have to you know, forget about a Slack, you don't have to create new accounts or anything and just, you know, work through your, your Voiceflow account. Um, but it's so much tech overhead and it's, it's such a niche problem. Like there's probably, it's probably only design platforms where that would actually be a useful solution um, because it's like, things where you have questions while you're actually using the service. Um, so if someone wants to build that product and then sell it to like VoiceFlow, Figma, Sketch, and like the, you know, the, maybe the, there's like a hundred other design tools out there, uh, hit us up. Yeah, that, I definitely see why that would be a, a great product for your use case and that, that category. I think something that I, I would like, um, and I don't think products are so far off yet, and maybe there's some that exist that do this. I honestly haven't looked into it too much. But the, the reason, you know, as you mentioned, if someone doesn't get on the, the iOS Slack app or the Mac Slack app, like they're gone. Like, the, the, like they're yeah. gone and they're not coming back because they didn't turn on the email notifications. You know, they're gone. Yeah. And I think if there was a community app that enabled notifications, not just in email, but wherever they want the notifications, like it can be in Slack, it can be in Facebook Messenger, it can be in your Alexa, like, I, I don't know. Um, but yeah. just a, a making that loop that isn't just email, because a lot of our generation, and I think, I think more so uh, the generation, um, I guess, Gen Z, the, the, right, younger than us, I don't think they're super active on email. And they're more like on Snapchat or now TikTok. And it's like, what if you got a notification on TikTok that your TikTok friend group, you know, is meeting, I don't know. But yeah, um, yeah. no, I, I, I'm, I'm with you. Someone needs to solve the problem. Um, it's, it's kind of one of the, um, I used to have this super naive attitude, um, surrounding like sort of like graveyard problems. So there are like problems that everyone has tried, you know, like, um, an app to skip the line at a bar, right. And like an app for like real time events, like that was mine. That's like a super classic event, you know, an app to exchange textbooks for college students, like all these sorts of ideas that um, have been tried like a million times and they don't work. Um, I used to think that, ah, they just won't execute you execute well but um, sometimes there are just fundamental business problems and I think the fact that this community problem has been tried so many times now over the past five or six years um, it might be getting close to sort of like you know idea graveyard so we'll see. So I actually have an interesting uh, counterpoint to that that I just heard on that I just saw on Twitter which I think was super interesting there are um, so VC money VCs generally only investing companies that can obviously return their money and then some, right? Like big returns and outliers. Yep. And if there is a, um, let's say like a textbook, uh, you know, in a textbook to change app hypothetically yep. for like a college, not like, like Tam is not giant. Like it's not going to be a billion dollar company, but it could be maybe a $3 million company. Like, I don't know. Um, like, but small, not VC. They're not going to get money from VCs. So that company may not ever be able to get started. Um, but now when you got like earnest capital and clear bank and, and different sources of capital, putting in cash, not expecting a giant return. I, I read on Twitter and we'll see if it plays out that that unlocks a huge, huge group of businesses that wouldn't have existed otherwise because VCs wouldn't have funded, like they never could have gotten started. Um, which I don't know if I buy, cause I think great founders like do it on their own first. Like they don't necessarily need capital, but there's some where they do need capital. So I don't know. What do you think yeah. about that? Um, yeah, it, it's an interesting notion. Um, 
off the top of my head, I think what the reason these businesses probably haven't started with um, the reason these businesses probably haven't started with VC funding is their margins are probably really bad. Um, like it's probably like a like especially like the tech, the textbook exchange. Uh, I'm imagining there's like it's been done a million times, but like you know there's too much variability in the different types of textbooks that um, you have to like really hit scale and maybe at scale the margins aren't great or whatever it might be. Um, where you might be able to use like these non-dilutive um, sources, but if you, I, I would bet that there's no network effect. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm just like thinking out loud at this point. I I bet there's a reason that that's not a good idea. I think what would end up happening is you might have like um, really large businesses that are funded through this like a non-dilutive source, like this is this um, uh, this like uh, I guess it's yeah, it's like venture debt. Um, but because they'd have really bad margins and there's no like increasing market power or anything like it's ju you just got like really large businesses with bad margins and they're not gonna be like valued much anyways um versus like having collections of like smaller businesses that are operating locally like if the, there's a couple different criteria for like venture back businesses and the biggest one is like like um economies of scale right or, or building network effects like if i give you this capital now um, and you execute correctly, like, are you going to be able to create sustaining value that over time will actually grow, right? Like, that was the hope with Uber. Um, and it's actually now been proven that Uber almost doesn't have network effects because it's it's localized. I would actually say that they suffer from the same problems as, like, the textbook company, where it's, like, local network effects, and it's just not a good model for VC, and there's probably not high enough demand anyways. Like, with Uber, it's, like, a really expensive taxi where you're not going to go to the place. And so Uber kind of made a lot of sense. But with the textbook, I feel like you might be saving, like, five dollars and so like the margins would be so bad on that i don't know that's that, that's kind of like me talking out loud uh, i don't i don't think there's enough demand um to, to like have like sort of like margin power um and then i don't think that the network effects would like they wouldn't be global like airbnb has global network effects but Air, uber has local network effects and so i feel like you'd have local network effects and that's not really defensible to build like a venture back business well, I know that if you, if and when you exit VoiceFlow, whether it's an IPO or, or a big acquisition and you become very wealthy, you're going to make it a good investor because that was a very solid analysis of a bunch of stuff that I understood, but I, I definitely, these are not things that like I could just pull out of, out of my head. You obviously have like a really firm grasp on how this works. So um, that's awesome. Do you have, do you have any interest in being an investor one day? Is that like, something you've ever thought about um, or are you pretty all in on on voice flow for like for the no i i'm i'm all in but i think the um i i love thinking about like markets and businesses like i love i love doing stuff like this and it's also a little bit more stressful because you're on a podcast you have to like watch what you say and sort of push the conversation forward at an acceptable pace otherwise i just sit there and like you know moan and like sit there in my head for like five minutes thinking about this but um dude i would be so down if to if you wanted to i mean we're, we're recording now so there's like no pressure or whatever but i would be down to if you wanted to do a series where we just like off of this rss feed like a different rss feed we just like talk about business fundamentals and markets and stuff i love jamming on this i like don't have many friends in phoenix that i can talk to about it so <laughs> i would be totally down if you want <laughs> yeah yeah no I, I i do stuff like that too yeah I, I'd, I'd be interested in chatting about that um what we're what we're saying yeah, voice, uh, anyways, investing yeah yeah, yeah I, I want i want to do angel investing one day um because i think angel investing is like low overhead on my time the thing i don't like about vc is you kind of get locked in right um especially if you start your own fund 
like you, you're you're in that for at least seven to ten years so um if all of a sudden you find out you know i'm really not into this uh you've, you've locked in locked in a decade if you're an angel you can just become a bad angel and like just go off the radar right and go you know dive into something else um so yeah that's that's uh that's my opinion on vc is like maybe one day um way down the line when like i can you know afford to lock lock into something for 10 years definitely well, cool. I appreciate us deviating a little bit there. Uh, super. You have a very uh, brilliant mind, uh, and it's uh, it shows that you've you've obviously had a really good amount of success so far with your company. And uh, yeah, I just appreciate the way that you think. Um, last note on on this topic, and then we'll just about wrap it up. Is um, I think this is the first time I will have said this publicly, uh, or at least on the podcast. But I, one of the directions that I'm going with the podcast and, and other things that I plan to build with it are, de- are definitely playing in like angel VC land. Um, I, I'm super, super intrigued in the fact that like, I don't, th- I personally don't think there's too much innovation in venture capital. Um, I think, you know, YC obviously changed everything a year, uh, 10 years ago. And uh, there is just, in my opinion, and this could be wrong because we'll see with time, but there's a lot of people following the crowd. There's like not too many original thinkers and I just see big opportunities to, to get in there and, and build something interesting. So um, this podcast is kind of a small part of that. We'll see what it turns into. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting. I, I think when you think about um, VC and sort of, because I think it's been a pretty common sentiment for the past couple of years now that like VC is very, um, no one's really innovated since YC and, and all this kind of stuff. Um, I actually, I don't know if there is a better vehicle for, for VC. I think, I think there's like the structure of VC is fine. I think it's more so like the access to VC that, that needs to change. Um, like, you know, having carry and like, you know, institutional VC funds and LPs and all this kind of stuff. Like, I don't think that, I don't think that's necessarily an inefficient model. Um, yep. I do think what, what is inefficient though, is there are biases or, uh, you know, every, every VC partner and VC firm has biases. There's a lot of pattern matching for sure. Um, I think that's where you could get more innovative um, is taking more like a data driven approach. Like I, like a couple of funds that I've that have invested in Voiceful that are just getting started. Like they've asked like, you know, what, you know, what, what could we be doing better? And they're all doing the same things. They're all like, we're so value add. Like we have this EIR, we have like this EIR. And I'm like, I don't care about that stuff. And in, in all honesty, um, I think, VC firms should do a couple things. I think one is like, they should be super vertical on like, what's the one thing that we're kick-ass and known for? Like um, when every VC firm is helpful, none of them are, right? Like it'd be so much better if they were like, I am the VC firm that helps you uh, with just talent. Like I can't help you with follow-on financing. I can't make, you know, super strategic intros. But in terms of like talent, I have like six in-house recruiters. Like I have nothing else, right? That'd be super useful, right? And you no, know, um, you know, maybe the one firm is like, I can connect you with, you know, sales, like, like, this is our thing, or we just do sales. Um, I think that would be useful on like the operations side. And then on the deal sourcing side, um, I think just, um, it's going to take a little bit more heavy lifting, but uh, almost like a type form, like somehow how YC does it with their applications, where it allows anyone to apply, anyone should be able to apply to any VC firm. And then each VC firm should have like, their particular algorithm that sources it, right? So maybe, um, you know, depending on uh, that VC firm's particular thesis, it filters out like of the 10,000 applications down to the thousand, you have associates review those thousand, and then you have you know, your deal flow. Um, I think that's what needs to change because, you know, all the VC firms that we've, we've 
pitched. Um, often it comes through warm introductions. We've been very lucky, like, you know, through the serendipitous, you know, route of events and the way things have happened where we've gotten those introductions, but there are other founders who haven't had that, that same event and they may have the same potential, if not much more. Um, and so I think, yeah, the access to, access to capital, people talk about that all the time, access to equity capital needs to change. And then the actual way that the VC firms just like pick a vertical and own it. Not everyone needs to be amazing at everything. Um, yeah, I hope VC firms take that to heart. Yeah, I hope they all hear that. And I actually have pretty good sources of data to show that like I have a good amount of VCs listening to this because um, a lot of them like add me on LinkedIn, like, oh, I love the podcast, whatever. Um, oh, cool. So hopefully they hear. Uh, but yeah, I, I won't say anything else about what is going to happen with like this, but you're definitely, um, what you're talking about is something that I think a lot about and might build for in the future with this kind of being the first leg. So I'll keep you posted on that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you certainly have a proprietary deal flow, uh, with your, your, uh, your, your podcast network. So, well, uh, I, I think cool. the thing that I am not a big fan of is, I did some market research of some pr uh, pretty, pretty solid angels. And I asked them if they're like, I'm, I'm not going to say the, the, the exact thing, but it ultimately was a question asking like of deal flow forms, would you prefer this, 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 this. And they all were like, it's just network. Like, I won't like, I am only going to take intros from other people that I know. I don't even care if there's a unicorn in, in Maine. Cause like if, if I don't get, I'm, I'm not going to get an intro to them. Cause like, it's not part of my network. And I think yeah. that is the, that's, that's a, gap like that is a that is a very that's gonna get exposed by someone maybe it's me maybe it's someone else like whatever but the fact that it's just this this warm intro environment and you got 49 other states where there's brilliant founders that are that like maybe or may even be tougher than sf founders because they've been like dealing without capital forever like that's a dynamic that i'm very interested in and um, i'm learning more about every day yeah i i think you know an interesting note on weiss because that, that was kind of why that's whole YC's whole approach too, but they took the weakness of Silicon Valley in that um, sometimes Silicon Valley's um, sort of in its own little bubble. And you know, as you mentioned, they have their own, their own networks and it's super great if you're in it. So that was Silicon Valley's um, uh, con, but their pro is of course, because these networks are so in, um, intertwined, like deal velocity is very fast and everyone knows each other. So there's a lot of trust. Um, and so what YC did was just, it plugged in the other states into that network, right? Um, and I think because they had early success, like, you know, someone should ask, like, if YC didn't pump out the unicorns they did in their first five or six batches, um, would YC, you know, be around to the same pedigree as today? Like, they, they totally have a network effect going on, right? Um, you know, maybe it's 500 startups or like Techstars or like or another accelerator that would have become the premier accelerator. But because they had those early hits, they, they, had, they got the network effect. Um, and so I think that angle of like introducing um, external founders or sorry, external state founders into the Valley, I think that's been, that's been done. Um, yeah. I, I don't know. I think what might be interesting is I think founders to founders, like sort of a founder to founder funding network might be really interesting. Some of the best angels we've had, we've had are like current operating founders um, uh, who are like actually not even that much further ahead than us. Like we have some like 10 K checks from our pre-seed round where they're maybe just about to do their series A and they're able to muster 10 K to us. And that was super valuable in those early days. Um, yeah. So I, I'm, I'm just spitballing ideas at this point, but. Are you familiar uh, with uh, Spearhead, the Naval Ravikant's new thing? Uh, not, no. So he is, 
starting he i don't think he calls it like this but he might have referred to it in this way once like yc for angel investors he gives founders one million dollar funds to invest in other founders and the whole thesis is like what you just said founders investing in other founders yeah i think there's also like um if you're an angel and you've been kind of like let's say you you exited like 10 years ago you've been out of the game for a little bit um and the the where technology is going is um, it's going like deeper and deeper into the tech stack. Um, and so it's going to be like, you know, deep blockchain, it's going to be quantum, it's going to be, um, you know, uh, genetics companies and things that requires really specific um, domain expertise. And if you don't have like people in that network, and those are typically the founders in that space, it's really hard to actually get a key on like sort of what's a hype company and what's a legitimate exciting company. Um, and I think, yeah, that's where the opportunity for founder, founder to founder networks is going to become really exciting as like traditional business knowledge is going to, you know, shift over the next 10 years into a new paradigm and, you know, we'll see what happens then. Yeah. We'll see what happens. Good, good stuff on the forward thinking founders podcast talking about VC for the first time. I don't think we've ever talked about venture capital as kind of like an industry before, but it's stuff I, I could, I could literally talk about this all day. I have so many thoughts, like we're not going to, cause it's, we're going on, <laughs> we're going on. Uh, I don't know how long, how long we've been going, but we've been going for a little bit. So I'm going to uh, kind of get close to wrapping it up, but definitely appreciate your in-depth insights on, on, on all of these topics. I'm very, very appreciated. And I will definitely keep you posted as I uh, further hash out exactly what I want to build and uh, we'll yeah, get your feedback and whatnot because I am interested in this whole realm. Um, anyways, uh, to, to wrap it up, uh, so you're building a startup, you're, you're a founder and founders, especially in the early days can often use help. Uh, there, there's a lot to do when you're working on a startup. So the least that we can do as a, as the community of forward thinking founders can, can help. So do you have an ask for the listeners and ask for me? Um, something that you're struggling with or any some help with that, uh, that that we can assist with feel free to shout anything out that we can assist with um i think i'm always curious to know uh how people are using their their voice assistants uh so more, more so more so market research um i think in terms of particular asks you know if you're a fantastic uh full stack uh, javascript engineer react on the front end uh, react redux uh note on the back end shoot me an email <laughs> otherwise uh yeah, would love uh, would love your opinions on uh, you know how you use your voice assistant and where everyone thinks they're going. As I think uh, crowdsourcing opinions and sort of seeing where the median is 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 always interesting. All right, well that is a wrap for I believe I'm pretty sure the longest podcast episode I've recorded, which is awesome. I do like the longer form conversation so maybe i'll adopt this for future episodes so thank you for coming on and thanks for building such an awesome company um in in an exciting market um best of luck to you and voice lift perfect thanks so much matt